Hello, I'm Lionel Calloway and welcome to Airing Pain, a programme brought to you by Pain Concern, a UK charity that provides information and support for those who live with pain. Pain Concern was awarded the first prize in the 2009 NAP Awards in Chronic Pain and with additional funding from the Big Lottery Funds Awards for All programme and the Voluntary Action Fund Community Chest, this has enabled us to make these programmes. At its loosest definition, up to half the population actually have chronic pain. At the most severe end, about 1 in 20 people have chronic pain. It's very interesting to ask people from different religions what pain means to them. All of them linked pain to punishment. Pain management isn't really ultimately about managing pain. It's more about somebody managing their life. So what we're looking at on our programmes is reducing suffering as a way of reducing the impact that pain has on somebody's life. More on those stories later. But first, remember that one of our aims on airing pain is to put questions you've raised with us to our panel of experts. Today, Dr Steve Gilbert of Queen Margaret Hospital in Fife is dealing with some of your questions about back pain. One airing pain listener writes... I've had bouts of back pain for several years, which usually clear up. But this time, it hasn't cleared up for four months. My doctor says I don't need a scan. I just take painkillers. Is the doctor right about the scan? I don't want to take painkillers forever. What other ways of managing the pain are there? The main reason for having an MRI scan is to identify something that might be helped with an operation by either an orthopaedic or a neurosurgeon. Now, discs often bulge and don't necessarily cause any symptoms. They can be pressing on nerves or in fact you can have narrowing of the whole spinal canal without it causing any symptoms in the patient. So if there is disc bulging which is pressing on a nerve and that ties in with symptoms that you're having which is most often a shooting electric shock pain going all the way down into your foot or a burning or nerve type pain which is there most of the time not just coming and going then that can sometimes be helped with neurosurgery so the answer is if you have nerve pain all the way into the foot or if you have other nerve symptoms like weakness or persistent loss of feeling then that in that case it might be worthwhile having a scan if you've been unwell in yourself if you've lost weight or if you have uh, an infection going on, or if you ever have any past history of cancer, or what we call red flags. These are things that the doctor should look out for as a, a chance that there might be something really serious going on in your back. In that case, it'd be worthwhile getting a scan. But I must emphasize that red flags are very, very rare. The majority of people with back pain and with leg pain the, the problem is to do with the way that the back is working, it's to do with tightening and sensitivity and not anything serious. It's a normal part of life. Often I see people in the pain clinic and they've been started off on some paracetamol and some anti-inflammatories and then they've gone on to get some codeine as well, perhaps other drugs like tramadol uh, and then even on to really strong painkillers like morphine, uh, oxycodone, very strong, powerful painkillers. When I have a look at their back, usually I find that there's still quite a lot of tightening and sensitivity to very light touch there. And this is because the muscles are tightened up, the nerves are very sensitive, and that's to do with the way that 
the interaction between your nervous system and the muscles in the back is working. There's a lot to do with the way that your brain works and there's lots of different connections in this pathway which aren't easily dealt with with strong painkillers. The best way to get better from this is to try and relax the muscles and to try and gradually increase your fitness and desensitise things. Dr Steve Gilbert of Queen Margaret Hospital in Fife and he'll be answering some more of your questions about back pain later in the programme. I'm Lionel Calloway, and you're listening to Airing Pain. Epidemiology is the study of the distribution or patterns of disease amongst the population in order to identify risk factors, best treatments and preventative measures. So in terms of chronic pain, it's finding out how many of us have it, the types of people we are, and any other factors that link us together. One such study is Generation Scotland. Blair Smith, who's a GP and Professor of Primary Care Medicine at the University of Aberdeen, is a senior member of the Generation Scotland team. Generation Scotland is a study taking place across the whole of Scotland where we're asking volunteers to come with their families to come and help us with information about their health and their lifestyle and to give blood from which DNA, the genetics can be extracted and we can look at a number of different important illnesses and chronic pain is one of the ones we're looking at. In common with a lot of chronic conditions it tends to affect poorer people or people who are less well educated, people from deprived areas. It follows the pattern that most chronic conditions. What we really are still trying to struggle with is whether it's cause or effect. Is it people who have less money that tend to get chronic pain or is it having chronic pain and the disability associated with it that makes work and income generation more difficult? We don't know that and we're still trying to work it out. But more recent research following up people who have had chronic pain has found that over the course of a 10-year period that people reporting chronic pain at the start of the 10 years were more likely to have died during that 10 years. In particular, people were more likely to have died of heart disease or respiratory disease. Well, there are several very good reasons that you might postulate for the reason for that link. It could be that if you have chronic pain, you are disabled and therefore less likely to be able to exercise. Or there may be an actual link between chronic pain and stress. We're beginning to look at this in some other research, which is actually finding that people with chronic pain have higher cholesterol there is emerging evidence that certainly runs in families, now, whether that is because of genetic effect or because of the lifestyle in the family or the culture in the family, we don't know, but there are certainly emerging evidence of some specific genes that might well be associated with chronic pain. That was Professor Blair Smith, and you can find out more about Generation Scotland from their website at generationscotland.co.uk. Generation Scotland, or one word, of course. Staying in Scotland, Pain Association Scotland is a charitable organisation working in collaboration with the NHS. It's pioneered the development and delivery of the self-management training approach to chronic pain in 32 locations throughout Scotland using intensive pain management programmes. So who are the programmes aimed at? Phil Sizer is the lead trainer for Pain Association Scotland. It's people who are struggling to come to terms with a change in their health. And that's really key to our work. It's trying to get people to adapt positively to a change in their lives with the classic things of pacing and stress management. And the intensive programmes 
perhaps a little bit more than the group programs we tend to get people who come from hospital based clinics so it's kind of interesting in that a lot of people see it as an exit strategy from either a, a chronic pain management service or from a back pain service but the intensive program is basically what we're doing in one of our regular groups but compressed into eight weeks so we start off looking at the impacts of pain on somebody's life and also looking at how self-management sits alongside a medical model doesn't replace it and then we start to get people to look at the things that have changed in their lives and then look at what they can do about them and it's kind of interesting because pain management isn't really ultimately about managing pain it's more about somebody managing their life so what we're trying to do is to look at ways of taking total load or changing the total load that somebody's living under so the focus isn't so much about pain per se it's more about pain and suffering so what we're looking at on our programs is reducing suffering as a way of reducing the impact that pain has on somebody's life phil sizer of pain association scotland and you can get more details from their website, chronicpaininfo.org. Chronic Pain Info, all one word, of course. I'm Lionel Calloway, and this is Airing Pain, brought to you by Pain Concern, the UK charity providing information and support for people who live with pain. Now, we are delighted to announce that two of the most highly respected people in the pain community, Dame Anne Begg, MP, and Professor Sir Michael Bond, have agreed to be patrons of Pain Concern. Dayman Begg has been Labour MP for Aberdeen South since 1997. She's also a campaigner for social justice, welfare reform and pensions, as well as civil rights for disabled people. Professor Sir Michael Bond was knighted in 1995 for his services to medicine. He's an authority on the psychological aspects of pain and on the social and psychological consequences of severe brain injury. He has served as President of the British Pain Society and the International Association for the Study of Pain and now lends his expertise to the development of clinical programmes and pain management in developing countries, a journey which started in his early career when he realised that pain treatment was given according to the cultural influences of the practitioner rather than the needs of the patient. I worked as a new doctor in two cancer wards, as they called them in those days, and I conducted a study to find out how efficiently the pain was being treated in the men and the women in the two wards. None of the men in a week received any of the most powerful narcotic-related drugs, even though they had advanced cancer in many cases, whereas the women did. What we discovered was that a lot of the prescriptions were given according to belief, the beliefs of the staff, about the painfulness of the conditions. So there were women being given injections of powerful drugs for certain gynecological uh, conditions which were believed to be painful, but which weren't necessarily painful. So that was Britain uh, 40 years ago. There were cultural, strong cultural influences on how people were treated. Now that, of course, has, uh, has changed a lot, but you still find similar beliefs in other parts of the world. It's very interesting to ask people from different religions what pain means to them. I mean, if you think of the Christian religion, most people would say that pain is perhaps a sort of punishment. In fact, the word pain comes from the Greek 
word for punishment. I spoke to a, a Hindu and asked him what serious pain would mean to him. And he said, well, really, it's a test of your fortitude. If you pass the test, then you will have a better afterlife. The Buddhist was different. He said, if I have severe pain, then I know that something was wrong in my previous life. I now have to atone for that. So all of them linked pain to punishment. One of the natural consequences, really, of not having specific services for pain relief, other than native medicines and native practices, is that you have to bear it. And you're expected to, and you expect to, because there isn't an alternative, particularly in the poorer, really poor parts of the developing countries, like very poor parts of India or Southeast Asia, you find people who are bearing pain that would never be seen in the West. If you think in the deepest parts of many developing countries, the only medical person, individual in the community might see, is a nurse, and probably one nurse for many, many people, and they do everything. So rather than being evangelical, if you forgive the word, we felt that we should address the problems as they see them. So in other words, bottom up, they say, what we need is, and we say, well, we can help you get there if we can. So our educational programs are based on submissions from individuals in developing countries. They might be doctors or nurses, seldom any other professional group. And uh, they're as varied as wanting to run a simple course for teaching people about pain. I couldn't believe this, but in Kenya we were asked to support a course for the training of midwives in pain relief. Now, it is uh, beyond one's imagination that the training of midwives would not include pain relief, but apparently it didn't. We've had uh, quite a lot of um, requests for programs for the management of people with uh, severe advanced pain due to cancer, but the other, of course, the other major cause of severe pain, in, uh, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, is uh, HIV-AIDS. If you think about it, 70% of people who reach advanced stages, and we're talking about millions, will not be given any relief for pain, and yet the pain they suffer will be as bad as people imagine the worst pain is from cancer. That was patron of Pain Concerns, Sir Michael Bond. Whilst his work concerns pain management in developing countries, the UK's own multicultural society can also present challenges for health professionals. Dr Shilpa Patel is a researcher and chartered health psychologist working directly with patients with chronic pain. She conducted research into how general practitioners in the Leicester area manage chronic pain in the South Asian community. The challenges they face are often around the consultation process. So when patients from the South Asian community, and when I say South Asian, I'm sort of talking about patients from the southern subcontinent, so people that originated from India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, um, those kind of countries. And often what GP said in the consultation, they found some of the presentation was quite bizarre. It didn't quite anatomically fit with things they knew. So often people would present with widespread pain. So it was difficult to pinpoint where that pain was coming from. So if you ask them, where's your pain, the kind of pointing would be a bit more, it's kind of all over. So you can imagine from a GP's perspective, it's like, where do you start with the treatment? Also language barriers. So if English was your only language and you had patients coming in that spoke Gujarati, Urdu, Punjabi, 
Bengali and often you don't have a translator available then and there and even family members coming to translate they're not always telling you exactly what the patient said they sometimes things are lost in transition but in the communication so that can be quite a barrier they they also talked about acculturation now um that's kind of looking at when somebody comes to this country how they take on the beliefs and values and perceptions of this country and the kind of beliefs they hold now they said that those that had come over sort of the older generations that have come over the way they present and the way they perceive pain and the beliefs about pain are very different from British born South Asians because they just said that there's a big generation gap and the British born South Asians are very much like white British patients so there wasn't much difference there but it was the older generation they wanted to cure they wanted treatments they wanted things to be investigated they wanted to know what the problem is so gps also said they could benefit from having better translation services or things like maybe cbt specialists or counselors because some of the pain they sort of also felt was may stem beyond just the pain there's other things going on that need investigating but often they felt they couldn't do it so they needed more help in those areas i think acculturation plays a huge, huge part in how people present with with chronic pain. And everybody in every culture has different health beliefs, different ways that they perceive health and illness and pain. And those kind of things are brought to the consultation regardless of whether we actually like it or not. So I think we need to be aware of how these cultural factors actually influence not only people's pain but how they present with pain how their wider communities see pain and their pain behaviour and whether their pain brings them to the pain clinics. Dr Sue Peacock there. She's a health psychologist at the pain clinic in Milton Keynes Hospital. Her doctorate research was into the effect of culture and ethnicity on the management of chronic pain. Her study was also based in Leicester, where around 26% of the residents say they are Asian Indian or British Asian Indian. The sample that were in my study were very acculturated in that they all spoke English, they most of them could read and write English. 11 out of the 13 of them wore westernised clothing outside their family. English was the most common language used at home. So what I found in my study, which was quite surprising because it was so completely different to my work in Milton Keynes, where there are newly immigrant populations, not well-established ones like in Leicester, the Leicester population actually had very similar beliefs to white British people. And it was actually gender that created more differences particularly in terms of things like learnt behaviour and learnt expectations and how, who we've learnt how to behave, you know, where we've learnt what, what responses to make to pain and also in terms of, of, of our roles in society. Interestingly, all of the people in the study said that women cope better, they showed less pain and coped better than men and everybody said that. And the reason tend to be summed up by, uh, I think the quote was, Women have babies and women's troubles, so they can cope with everything. What was interesting was the white British participants felt that as time went on, they kind of had to adapt and they actually coped in very similar ways. The people that I talked to very much felt that men took to their beds to start with and uh, you know, the women got on because they felt obliged by their social roles as, as wives, mothers, carers and all responsibilities. And quite often it was that fact that they couldn't fulfil those roles that actually caused them a lot of distress whereas men eventually realised that they couldn't actually stay in bed forever and they did actually have to get on because this pain just wasn't going. So eventually they, they came up with similar coping strategies and used similar coping strategies to the women. Some of the things GPs said is that 
maybe the patient is using the pain as a way into the consultation and in the door but behind that it's actually other things that are going on so they might be feeling a bit low or depressed or something but it's something they can't say and the stigma involved in having depression and so forth within the south asian community it can be problematic so they may not want to go into the gp's consulting room and say hello i feel you know quite low or i feel quite depressed they might use pain as a a way in a ticket for admission and I think some one of my GPs said it, it can be like a ticket for admission into the consulting room because it's an easy thing to come with because pain you can't really see it it can be anywhere you know so some of the GPs did talk about um, whether it was expressing sort of emotional symptoms in physical ways. That was Shilpa Patel. You're listening to Airing Pain with me Lionel Kellaway. Before we continue, I'd just like to remind you that whilst we believe the information and opinions on airing pain are accurate and sound based on the best judgments available, you should always consult your health professional on any matter relating to your health and well-being. He or she is the only person who knows you and your circumstances and therefore the appropriate action to take on your behalf. Now we have another question, once again about back pain for Dr Steve Gilbert of Queen Margaret Hospital in Fife, from a listener who is struggling to find the cause of his or her pain. I've started to feel a pulling pain in the lumbar region of my spine. My doctor has prescribed me painkillers and said that if I feel numbness or difficulty holding urine, I should go to the hospital. The pain has now moved to my buttock and thighs. What should I do? Should I get an x-ray? Well... I wouldn't worry about this. This sounds like a typical muscular pain. Often the problem starts off in your back muscles where they're joined into the back of the pelvis. And as you tighten up and try and stop things moving, which is something your brain does for you, not something you're consciously aware of, then the bottom muscles, which are attached onto the other side of the pelvis, become tightened up as well. And this can spread into your thighs. There's a muscle that goes from the front of your spine down into your groin. And often this makes the pain go into the front of the thigh, especially when you're trying to stand up from sitting or if you're trying to go upstairs. So this sounds like a normal muscular back pain, which is what most people get. The other part of the question was about whether you need to go for an X-ray and what would happen if you got numbness or difficulty holding urine or passing bowel motions. Well, this is a condition called Coda Aquina Syndrome, where a disc bulges out and presses against the nerves inside the spinal canal. And this is a very rare condition, but it's something you need to get help for that day. You don't wait to go for any uh, appointments with your doctor. You go straight to hospital in this situation. But I must emphasise it's a very rare condition. You might feel numbness between your legs, and as we discussed, you might not know when you need to go to the toilet, and you might pass urine without realising it. In this case, you need to go for an urgent MRI scan and then go on to see a neurosurgeon, perhaps for surgery, very quickly. But you'll know if this happens. It's a very rare condition. The vast majority of people with back pain have simple muscular or mechanical back pain. And the main thing to do is to relax, to try and keep on the go and to gradually increase your activity and reduce your painkillers as you're getting better. Dr Steve Gilbert. The next question is from a 20-year-old who says, I've been diagnosed with dehydrated discs. 
I'm currently on a lot of medication and have been for the last two years. I've had physiotherapy, epidural injections and acupuncture. I have recently had a massive flare-up and am in so much pain. I just don't know what to do. Often when we're looking at back pain, we tend to focus on the, the physical structures inside your back, particularly discs. Now, discs naturally dry out a little bit as you get older, but I wouldn't have thought there would be any significant change in your discs at age 20. There might be a little bit of bulging, but if the disc bulges out and that's causing a problem, it doesn't usually cause back pain. It causes a nerve pain all the way down into your foot, all the way down your leg. So, I would think that you've been given an explanation about your back pain, which is a little bit worrying. If you're only 20 and your discs are already dehydrated and damaged, then what's going to happen when you get older? is not a very encouraging message for you. I think that discs are not usually the cause of back pain. You've had lots of different kinds of medication, your injections and your acupuncture, and none of that has made any difference. And that's because it's most likely that everything in your back is very tightened up and very sensitive. And that's to do with the way that your whole nervous system, including your central nervous system or your brain, is working. So what we have to do to try and get your back pain better is to, first of all, understand what the problem is with your back, why is there so much tightening and sensitivity there. Often there are spasms because the muscles are contracting without any conscious control and this gives you a lot of pain. You have to try and get things to relax, which is not something that you can do consciously. You can't just say, oh, just relax, stop being so sensitive. You have to try and get relaxed generally to increase your exercise tolerance and reduce the sensitivity. And this is what we call a rehabilitation approach. First of all, I think it would be really worthwhile finding out more about chronic pain, why it goes on and on, why you get so many different opinions about back pain. And I would recommend a really good book about pain and pain mechanisms and pain management called Explain Pain by David Butler and Lorimer Mosley. This is a book which explains why pain happens. It's, it's got a lot about the nervous system and complex, clever stuff, so that by the end of reading this book, you'll be the expert on the pain. And it's something that anybody can understand. It's traditionally been thought that back pain is a serious medical problem. It's very it's complicated and clever. It's not. It's very straightforward and anybody can understand it. And the evidence is that understanding is the key to getting better. Dr Steve Gilbert of Queen Margaret Hospital in Fife. And if you want more advice on dealing with or preventing back pain, then an excellent resource is the Back Care Helpline at backcare.org.uk. And finally, if you'd like to put a question to our panel of experts or just make a comment about the programme, then please do so via our blog, message board, email, Facebook, Twitter or even pen and paper, in which case the address you need to write to is Pain Concern, 1 Civic Square, Trenent, EH331LH. And all this information is on our website at painconcern.org.uk where you can also download all the past editions of Airing Pain. And we'll end today's edition with some advice from Phil Sizer of Pain Association Scotland for those who've been diagnosed with chronic pain but are at a loss of what to do next. Well, the first thing is to get the best medical help you can because I think people won't engage with 
self-management until they feel like they've got the right answers from the medical world. Once they've done that, I think to find your way to some kind of self or pain management program would be important. There's horses for courses, really. There are the intensive pain management programs that only your clinicians can send you on. There's the work we provide, which I think is very appropriate. Oh, there are also other sorts of self-management, but I think the key thing is not to rely just on medication because usually the picture with chronic pain is complicated by the way people try or maybe try and fail to adapt. So those are key things that need looked at and self-management offers a way forward with that.